Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi there. You're listening to Light Hustler. It's a podcast about... Oh, it's about addiction. It's about recovery. It's about mental illness. It is about sharing your dark to find your light. If you are new to the podcast, so happy you're here. Welcome back. Um, I'm feeling good because I read this morning. I had the the courage that it takes to read some of the reviews and you got to brace yourself because some of them are just god awful. And there are not only no god awful ones, there are so many new nice ones. So (laughs) thank you. Um, and by the way, if you don't want to miss a future episode, just go and hit subscribe. You'll never miss one. So easy. So very excited uh, about the guests that I have sitting at my, let's call it a kitchen table. It's a small table. It's not that small. It's in a kitchen. I mean, three children could get around it. E- easily. I would say three adults. I would say. Small adults. Small adults. It's a good thing we're, we're small. Yeah, we're very small. Thank you, ladies. Um, she, this woman that you're hearing talking, is Tina Alexis Allen. And her her new book, um, her first but new book, is called Hiding, a Memoir of Drugs, Deception, and Double Lives. Uh, HarperCollins published it. It is the talk of the town. She's been on Megan Kelly. So we're super psyched she's sitting in my kitchen at my small <laughs> table. Um, and it is definitely and unputdownable, that's not a word, book. And and what what got me was, you know, I, whatever, I'm a slave to celebrity perhaps, but like that Megan Kelly said that. Because I assume <laughs> yes, that none did. of those people read the books because how would they have time? It's amazing. Well, first of all, it's hiding out, but the out part is really important. It's really it's, hard it's to re- It is, I know, it's the cover, but I it know. is hiding out, but it is, it, it is, it's easier to see the apple. The sleeping apple. I didn't see the apple either. Yeah. What's up? Anyway, let me tell you about Megan Kelly. Yeah. Megan Kelly uh, read my book coming back from uh, Russia, interviewing Putin. And um, this is what she told me backstage. And she said, um, normally I don't read the whole book. But she said, in fact, I really read it cover to cover. And she said, I'd get to the parts where you were like getting dressed, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I can probably skip this. But then she said... I couldn't. I it was telling me what you were wearing and what you were grabbing and what I had to keep going. So from her lips to God's ears, she read the whole thing. You could tell. Yeah, could tell she was into she it, right? I've been interviewed by enough people who haven't read my book that are pretending <laughs> to that I can tell the difference. By yeah. the way, I'm so, I told you how casual this is. It's so yeah. casual. I'm going to get my iPhone oh, to okay. do a double record just in case. Okay, good. So you get to talk and entertain those listeners. Oh, okay. Let's see what else I can talk about. Oh, so Megan Kelly is... Um, um, supposedly a devout Catholic, but at the break when we were chatting, 
she, I said to her, Megan, so you're Catholic, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, are you still practicing? And she went, eh. Um, and let's talk about why that's such a relevant question for you to ask her. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, let's. So um, the book is, why don't you summarize the book? Well, um, it's a wild, audacious ride of my young adult self starting at 18. I was hiding out, uh, hence the title, um, as a woman who had been with men and women, but at the time was with a woman. And I was in a devout Catholic family, so all of it plus the Catholic school and the Catholic um, neighborhood was not the place to be living out loud. And how many brothers and sisters? Do I you have, have 12 older brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of 13. I know. It's lucky crazy. 13. Yeah, lucky 13. So at 18, my dad, who I had a really tough relationship with, is like most of us in my family did, you know, he was alcoholic and rager and all the rest, asked me to dinner. And we had a dinner with my partner, my girlfriend. Uh, he didn't know, of course, and proceeded to out me. He did. Know, he of did. Course. Yeah, he knew, of course. And then after that, and I was, you know, choking on my food, um, he proceeded to say that he himself was gay, that he had was actively with men, not just had been. He, in fact, said he buried his lover in the war before he met my mom. So, needless to say, our relationship blows open. And that's just like chapter three, right? <laughs> that's just the beginning. And when she says blows open, she doesn't mean like they just started having some honest conversations and got a little <laughs> bit closer. What do you mean by that? I mean, we um, we became each other's sort of gay drinking buddy, confidant, um, clubs, drugs. We went, we went on the freaking town <laughs> and did it up. Yeah, we did it up. We did lots of uh, lots of partying, lots of poppers, lots of traveling. Um, he took me on the Concorde to Paris, which isn't in the book actually, but that's probably in the second book because. I, you know, I stopped, you know, I had to, at the end of the book, but, but it kept going, you know, it, it, it just kept going. Um, oh, so the book is not the end of your relationship with them, or those are yeah. details that happened in the time frame. Of no, the book. no, that trip on the Concord actually happens after the time frame. So even though I have now at the end of the book, you know, changed, I'll just say not yeah. to give any big spoilers here, but I do change and I uh, fortunately evolve in the, in the real time, you know, at 23, it's not over yet. Okay. I, in fact, I moved to New York, so it gets worse before it gets better, which people have a really hard time hearing that. Right. right <laughs> like, wait, hold on. It gets worse before it gets better. Well, 23 is kind of young. It's to young. Yeah. It, 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 I got out of the house. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the first geographic happened, right? So um, I found it very intriguing throughout, just, just you know, talk about the, con let's jump off the Concord. You yeah. know, this is a man with 13 kids. Yeah. And he runs a travel agency and you're, just, and you're going on these elaborate trips and you're like, where does this money come from? How is this happening? And he's very indulgent. Totally. Um, and then I didn't totally understand. It was left a little bit, it was a bit enigmatic Great. about what that situation is. Can you talk about that? Of course. I mean, uh, I'm still doing research. I'm, you know, one of the questions about the next book is, do I continue? 
on the path and go to Rome and actually really do in real time this investigation? Can I get information? So essentially, I find out in the book that my dad has more than one double life. The other double life has to do with the Vatican and um, basically having very high level connections there, which makes no sense because he's like, okay, a Catholic travel agent, but he's really dialed in and he has regular meetings there and he's traveling like a half a million miles a year, literally. So something's going on. Plus he's got cash and other things I discover that I won't give away. Mm -hmm. But I have, in fact, at Christmas time, I had a meeting at the Essex House in New York that was set up by my, quote, Vatican connection. So I'm still in process and was told that Russia might be a good place for me to start because I might be able to get access to information that, of course, the Vatican is not eagerly going to give me. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so then as this is happening, <clears throat> you're having this, you know, special relationship with your dad um, and your siblings are just like, what the F? And they are all straight yes. or in the closet or yes. we don't know. Yes. Yeah. All my siblings are married with kids. So it doesn't mean anything, but right. they're married to... Uh, they're heterosexuals with children. Mm -hmm. And at that time, um, I know that we had all had our, like, you know, my dad had a tendency to have a sort of flavor of the month, a child of the month or a child of the year. And so you could go in and out of his graces, which anyone who understands alcoholism or other isms understands, right? Narcissism, that behavior. So for a while, I'm sure my siblings just thought, oh, Tina's finally the flavor of the month. And I didn't get along with him at all. So it was surprising, but not shocking. Right. But when it went on for years, then it started, the questions started coming, like, what's up with you and dad? And why are you getting all these trips? And, you know, he'd send others places, but mine was just, and I was hanging out with him like a lot. Right. And he wanted to be with me and he made it a priority to, because he could be him. Let's face it. And in terms of relationships with other siblings and trauma, let's talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you mean about my brothers? Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, I share that I was molested by two of my brothers when I was starting at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because um, that was a, something that my editor um, – it's, it's not a big focal of the focus of the, point, of the book, but it is – important in its context um, for the behavior at 18 to my early 20s. But my editor at one point said, let's, maybe we should leave it out. And obviously not, you know, for, in her opinion, any other reason than maybe it was just one too many things like this reader has got to like process. However, for me, I said no, because if you don't have the context that all this sexual, wild acting out and all the rest of it uh, just doesn't have, you know, its proper place. And uh, not to make excuses because you've read it and you know I don't make excuses mm-hmm. for my behavior at all. Mm-hmm. But I also don't make excuses for my brother's behavior mm-hmm. or my teacher or other things that went down. That blew my fucking mind. Yeah, right? So starting when you were what? Eleven. Eleven, twelve, thirteen is, is yeah, because it, it, it went on and it was – relational. In other words, you know, being molested, like, I don't know, God bless those U.S. gymnasts, you know, that's like they get molested and then they, but this other thing with the teacher was more relationship-like. The female teacher. Female teacher. And 
the the interesting thing about the way you wrote about it is that it never felt like you categorized it as molestation. This was like your first love. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I didn't get till my very first uh, press interview when we were having this type of conversation that in a way um, I had actually forgotten to pull that thread through when I jumped time into my final chapter. And in a way, I, I, it's a little bit of an oversight, to be frank, because um, I have since, uh, I have written an article for Psychology Today, which anyone listening can go on and and I, I recommend you read um, because there's a lot in there about how do we categorize something like this that happens that isn't just, oh, my piano teacher did this to me a few right. times. Right. Well, you instigated it in a way. Well, I wouldn't say I instigated it, but I was certainly a willing participant. I mean, the way that we got together was very much, I think, fair to say that she seduced me. But as a you know young child bringing up, you know, do you want to kiss me yeah. and those kinds of, I mean, it's very seductive and clearly, you know, look, if someone hands you a glass of water and it's dirty and you're dying of thirst, you're not paying any attention to Especially that water. Especially And you yeah, know. and she was the cool teacher and- a million other things, and I'm already sexualized, and uh, mostly it's like starvation for attention and love and warm arms. And she, she did provide that. It was a price, and I'm clear of what it is today. But you're right. I wrote the book first person, so I didn't want to betray that. I didn't want to start to you know therapize and tell the reader uh, what this really was because I figured the reader's smart enough to know. Uh, what what to think of a 27-year-old teacher and an 11-year-old. You know, it's sexual abuse, right? right. No matter what. Um, that doesn't mean there weren't bittersweet things in it for me. But in the end, I mean, if I had an 11-year-old, are you kidding me? Right. That's kind of when I got it. When I turned 27, that's when it got crystal clear that it was wrong. Because I looked at 11-year-olds and I'm like, what the? They're little. Even the most sophisticated, mature, sexualized 11-year-old is still 11. So, I mean, I did. I was obviously mature for my age, but come on. You know, it's just still. (laughs) It's just not. Yeah. And um, I remember from Megan Kelly um, that your siblings have been reached out to. Yes. what is their response? So in the Megyn Kelly interview, uh, about 10 minutes before I went on, I got word. I, first of all, backing up a second, I had asked, I had notified the two brothers, uh, I have five, but two of them that I've referred to already, um, to if they wanted to come on with me or any other press that I do. They could have come into your kitchen today mm-hmm. and sat with us they if they wanted to. They wouldn't, but they could have sat up on your yeah. counters. They're nice and marble for those who haven't been to her house yet. Um, no, but I asked them to come on and um, they declined. Um, another brother, not one of those two, wrote that statement claiming that the majority of my family um, basically says that what I'm saying isn't true. Um it's okay. Cause you know, like the light waits for people and everyone in my family knows that the big ticket items I've written about absolutely 1000% are true. What they didn't know is I was doing poppers with dad, you know, down in the, you know, wild gay clubs of Washington, DC. Yes. They don't, didn't know that stuff. And, um, I would say about half of my family is solidly with me. And interestingly, I made a decision not to read any 
difficult emails, we'll call them, right? Um, and they, they pretty much didn't happen this round because I think my family knows by now, those that are challenged by this, that um, it won't stop me from moving and living in my truth. Um, that said, they've since kind of been having a difficult time with some of those that are supporting me, which I find really ironic, right? but not surprising. So, um, yeah. So in Megan Kelly, 10 minutes before I went on, I was notified by the producer. Oh, by the way, a statement finally came in. Uh, it didn't come from the brothers or the teacher. Ha ha. Oh, she was contacted. Too. Oh yeah. The teacher and my two brothers were asked for a statement. So obviously it's true because if that's something you didn't do, you come back and you make a statement and say, that's not true. Of course it's true. Right. And we all know it's true. That's beside the point. The problem is the healing that maybe is not yet fully taken place with all of my family. Um, as I said, they knew everything about my dad. They knew everything about the brothers. These are not surprises. I think, you know, being exposed, I understand some people it's challenging if they haven't done what I think is the work that has to be done because we all grew up in the same place. Right. I mean, I didn't get, you know, this was not a vacuum. My other, my siblings have suffered deeply. Right. And it's not my place to tell their story, but believe me, I could write, you know, 12 more books. Right. You know, right. so I feel for them. I love them. I wish no harm to anyone. But I know this book is about putting the light on it. It has nothing to do with a level of revenge or anything. And you know that. You've right. read it. You know the tone is so not that. Right, right. But it is explicit. <laughs> it is explicit. Read it. <laughs> um, have we tempted you enough? It, so go get it on Amazon. Is that the best place? For yeah, you to get Amazon. It? If you're in LA, you can go to Barnes and Noble and get an autographed copy. But yeah, Amazon, uh, the indie bookstores, BookSoup has support it. Them. Support the indie bookstores. So how has your life changed since releasing it? It's interesting. People often say to me, "Oh, it must have been so cathartic to write it." Um, it wasn't <laughs> cathartic. I mean, it's not that I didn't go through things, but I felt already on the other side of my story. Right. I really didn't feel of this story. So that helped write it the way I did. Um, what it's helped, I think, you know, I recorded my audiobook. Mm -hmm. That was very empowering. Mm -hmm. It surprised me. I've never recorded an audiobook. Yes, I'm an actor, but I had never done that. And there was something empowering. I think that's what I feel. I feel like my voice has gotten stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and I am I feel fairly shameless. You know, I just do. And I think it's, it's I just want to be of service. And that's really where I'm standing in my life today. You know? It's interesting that you said that about the audiobook. You know, my whole company's thing is share your dark to find your light. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we do is live speaking and storytelling because that experience of speaking it yeah. is different than putting it on the page. Putting stuff on the page I have always found incredibly healing. Yeah. But in a way, it's not that it stopped working, but that's just next level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I had played my dad off Broadway six years ago. That. Yeah. And um, I played him exclusively and basically told the story part his life story but also our story together um you know as him his his point of view so he's very present in the book he's very present on, on the audio book obviously but um that helped cuz i was i think i lost the shame about anything to do with him mm -hmm. by understanding him better by playing him 
you know. So, and let's talk about you deciding to become an actress, yeah. sort of not not from a young age no. necessarily. So, what? How did that come about? Oh my God, it's it's still a bit baffling to me, truly, because um, I was in fashion. I was an executive. I I went and got an MBA, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have a business life, a business career, um, and I did in fashion. I was on uh, an executive there, and then I kind of had a, an epiphany, but I think it was related to uncovering, starting to peel the onion back. Mm -hmm. And as I went to therapy and I got into program and stuff like that, I think I just started to unravel and take a little bit of the mask off. And I hit a wall. I think I just hit a bottom. That's mm -hmm. the easiest way to say it. And then I took a year off. I left my fashion career. I just like literally pushed my chair back and walked out. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not exaggerating, like in the middle of the day. And I said, I'm going. And I never came back. So I took about a year to figure out, think about, and I gave myself permission to answer this question, what would you be if you could be anything? Mm -hmm. And I don't know where it came from, but I swear like actor just came into my head and I had never acted or thought of acting or I was never even in a school play. I didn't right. know anything. But I think it had to do with the the heart and time to pay attention to the inside. So I feel like it was a little bit divine that it was given to me, that path, because I've, you know, I'm a method actor, so I've been able to use it all. Well, and in terms of this theme of hiding out, you know, yeah. that, that you were well-trained as an actress in some way. Yeah. Um, my, my editor uh, said to me, you know, I think I say it in the prologue. Um, I don't think I actually give her credit for it. Um, because she edited that part out. <laughs> but um, yeah, like you've been acting your whole life. And I didn't really get that. Mm -hmm. Even people when I was in my 20s, before I even thought of acting, I remember a couple people I was involved with, say you should be an actor or you'd be a great actor. And then, and now I understand. Mm -hmm. It's just like becoming someone else, you know. And so talk about some of your acting roles, please. Oh, well, most uh, most recently, uh, right before the book, I ended uh, two years on Outsiders mm -hmm. with David Morris and Ryan Hurst from Sons of Anarchy. And it was so blissful. I got to play an Appalachian woman, um, sadly, who had just lost her son. So she was teetering between, you know, saving the family and... Um, revenge, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic, but not. Mm -hmm. um, so Shern from Outsiders was my last uh, sort of big TV role. And uh, now another book's done and some screenplays I've just written are done. I'm kind of my eyes are back on what's my next role. Although I am directing a play this summer in LA. So that's going to be interesting. I'm directing Extremities. Really? <laughs> Wait, is that that's that, that Farrah well, Farrah did the TV movie, yeah. but Extremities is a play that actually, um, uh, who played it? Um, I can't think, but it was an off-Broadway play first. It's a play, and then they made it into a movie. And in terms of screenplays, so you're a working screenwriter? Yes, I am. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm writing currently um, two screenplays. Um, one is for Gabby Delal, who just directed uh, Three Generations with Elf Fanning, Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon is who played the character in Extremities, by the way. Uh, and Naomi Watts. Um, and Elle plays transgender. It's a really good indie movie. Anyway, Gabby Delal is the director, and I'm writing a script with her called Park Avenue, 
uh, for her and her producer, um, Dorothy Berwin, who was part of Carol and that whole thing. And then I'm writing an original screenplay by myself for hire that's sort of 70s, 80s, uh, two sisters. Um, one's a Playboy bunny and one's a, a classical world-renowned pianist. Was this something that you came up with? Or no, actually, it's the the person who hired me. Um, it was based on some source material, but very un, underdeveloped. It's right. yeah, yeah. It's nothing published, but it was the seed was there, and then I had to take it. So I'm actually in a rewrite on that right now. So and clearly, this is going to be a movie. Book. Yeah, I see it as a TV series. But yeah, there's a lot to get into. Maybe there's so much. Do it. Well, I mean, if you when you read the book, yes, there's a beginning, a middle, and end, and it's very natural. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the read, you go, "Oh, it's a movie." That's what most people. But because I lived it, I know there's six, seven seasons <laughs> of stuff, and so many people. Although you can't make it with thirteen siblings, but yeah, it's a little like cross between. I don't know. It's a little transparent. It's a little shameless. It's a little. Uh, Alan Ball tone. Yeah. It's interesting when you said shameless before. I was like, yeah. You know, you use the yeah. word to describe yourself. Yes. Um, and so when you said, in, I got into program, my yeah. impression was because you say it. Yeah. I'm not sober in the AA sense of the word. Yes. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, basically, when I decide, so there's two, I guess, two things I want to say. One is that when I decided to become an actor at nearly 30, I was partying a lot, and obviously I party a lot in the book. So I knew, like, I had already sort of back started backing off of what I call self-destructive behavior. Um, so I got into Al-Anon, and that's been my program for 25 years, oh. 26 now. So um, I, I basically just changed my drinking habit and then got into that program, which seemed right for me. And then uh, my partner got sober a couple years after. And then I was like, eh, you know, I, I barely drank, but I was like, nah, I don't really need to either. And then I, you know, if I've had five drinks in 20 years, right? it's, that's, you know, so that, that's why I say I'm not AA sober because I don't work that program. And, um, you know, I, I, I would have a few sips of wine now and again, but it's not, it's not a thing for me. So, so the alcoholic gene did not hit you? I don't think so. You know, I never felt, I mean, I definitely felt like a person who really didn't like herself mm-hmm. that was trying to avoid her feelings in every way, shape, and form. And that's in the book. Mm-hmm. So there is that. Um, but I feel like it was lifted with my healing that I didn't, I, I have no desire to um, sabotage my life or anything you know just or myself just Mm -hmm. that kind of self um destructive behavior is just not i mean it's not like i'm perfect (laughs) come on on. well a little a little bit perfect so and you know i hate that word but like the promiscuity yeah now you're in this a long-term relationship for like what 20 years yeah yeah it's um it's interesting because yeah, I'm going to do a dream workshop tomorrow, which it's, um, I worked with Sandra Seacat. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. her, but she's an amazing acting coach. She was back in the day with, I mean, she coaches Laura Dern and many, many, you know, wonderful actors, but she uses dream work as sort of the heart, you know, your actual sleeping dreams mm-hmm. as the heart and, 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 you know, sort of the archetypal exploration and finding character and obviously knowing yourself. And I share that to say that, you know, 
one of the questions for tomorrow's class is to sort of journal about your dilemma, like your crossroads, whatever that may be as a character, or if you're not working on something, you know, personally. And in a way, it's like, it never stops being a little bit of a dilemma, because, you know, it was so much part of me, that even though I am, you know, in relationship and, you know, loving and faithful and all those things, it's like, it's like an ism, right? It's like a feeling of like, well, wait a minute, you know, is this it? Mm-hmm. So I think it's like in that territory, and I'm being incredibly um, honest mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> to say that, not that I'm not being honest, but, you know, that's obviously a very personal thing that I'm asking myself. So since you brought it up, it's, yeah, it's still something that I think about and I, you know, long-term relationships are challenging, right? Because, and they're wonderful mm-hmm. and I have a really good one. So I'm very grateful and blessed. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm not human, you know, and Yeah, I think challenged. any honest person feels that way to a degree. And I, I've been talking about this recently that we're all sort of vacillating between fear of um, engulfment and fear of abandonment. <laughs> that's good. You know, I yeah. didn't make it up. Yeah. Um, but, but that that's just, and then of course, you know, the mundane. Yeah. Who wants that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's, it's interesting because about four years ago, I started coming out to LA a lot, um, for work things. And, um, and I was liking having space, you know, and there's not nothing I'm saying my, my partner isn't fully aware of. Um, so no surprise here, but just, just space, like just waking up in the morning and having that coffee alone and with your thoughts or spreading out on the bed, like, it's, I know it's always greener, right? right, right. I mean, because I have plenty of people who are like, I want a relationship. You know, right. I just want someone next to me. And it's always that way. I, you know, but anyway, and I have a Scorpio rising. So that's, I just blame it all on that. It's sexual. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. 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 I hear that. I mean, all Scorpios use as an, as, as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that until like last year. I'm like, oh. Yeah. yeah, as an excuse. Yes, exactly. I'm a Gemini. I don't know if we're sexual, but we are charming. Very charming. My yeah. partner's a Gemini. Yeah. 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 Um, so we have to get close to wrapping up. Is okay. there anything that I have neglected to ask you that you want to share? Wow. Um, I think we covered it, you know, and more. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we got into I'm glad you asked me those last questions because it's, it's nothing that I have um, shared before. So I feel like it's a new day. And I love that. I love talking about something that gets under my skin a little that I don't really want to say the truth. But you're you're all about dark to light. And I know that about your I know that about your podcast. I know that about you because I have not listened to them all. But I've I read on I read a lot about you Mm -hmm. and heard a lot about you. And I think it's important to say truth. And also, do you have that thing where, you know, when you're promoting something, you just find yourself saying these same things over and over again. And you're like, why am I doing this? It's got it's I you get really far away from the feeling. Yeah, yeah, I feel very connected to my feelings today. And I'm grateful for that. Sometimes that does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that definitely has happened. I've had a lot of interviews for the last few months, but I try to stay as connected as I can. It doesn't always work. And I try not to lean on sort of a pat answer, Mm -hmm. but I'm especially grateful when somebody asks me something that I haven't been asked. 
Well, and I thought it was interesting as somebody who is, um, you know, who has sort of come around to being um, a more traditional person, you know, that... That's the funniest thing I've ever been called. Well, no, I was talking about me, actually. Oh, oh. I relate, you know, when I go like, oh, I get that, like, you know, that way of being and, and the transition and 20 years of a relationship is a long time to have made that transition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we, you know, I think I say this in the prologue, you know, having those tough conversations, you know, it's that's so much of it. You know, I mean, I learned, um, you know, swinging back to the book for a quick second that people in my past haven't all been honest with the people that they love. And I understand how hard it is. Even the people you love most, you're, you're so tempted to keep that secret or just like, eh, I don't really need to say that. Like, is that really gonna, but it does promote intimacy. It's not always promoting, you know, a positive moment because you have clashes over those deep, dark truths, right? But you do have the chance to be closer. And ironic that you would say that given the secrets that your dad was keeping. So many. And me too. I mean, my dad had, yeah, more secrets, I say, than than the Kennedys. Yeah. <laughs> so did I. But I try not to... Um, yeah, there's no judgment about it. But yes, it's it's kind of full circle now, isn't it? Well, let us end on that note. So go get, I, I'll get the title right this time. Go get Tina's book, Hiding Out, A Memoir of Drugs, Deception, and Double Lives. You will not regret it. And thank you so much for listening. Um, if you, we've been talking a lot about sharing our story. So if you want to know if you should be sharing your dark to find your light, I have a quiz for you. You get to take a quiz and find out. You got to admit that's kind of cool. What is it? I want to take it. You don't, you pass. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. You don't even get the test. But if you're listening, it's at lighthustler.com slash quiz. Go take that quiz. I highly recommend it. And, um, and, and subscribe so I can talk to you next week. So Tina, thank you so much. I thank really you. appreciate your coming thank here to you. do this. Okay.